This is the Brothers on Books podcast, the greatest podcast with the best brothers talking about the best books. Please welcome your hosts, Jack and Alex, the Brothers on Books. Karate chop the like button and subscribe. Smash the like button and subscribe. What it do, what it do. This is the Brothers on Books podcast, where we find great books that will give you real value and actionable steps and have fun in the process. Please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you'd like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind. A great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to this would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. And even further, the original episodes, the OGs, please visit brothersonbooks.com. And now you can also find us on Instagram at brothersonbooks and on Twitter at b underscore o underscore b underscore podcast. That's a mouthful. I'm Jack Allwile, and with me, as always, is my brother, Alex Allwile. Al, how you doing today? Doing great, Jack. How are you? Doing pretty good. We got this heat wave going through America right now. It's brutal. It's causing for a lot of lazy Sundays. You know, it's <laughs> I essentially get my, you know, maybe two hours of exercise in the morning and then I feel toast for the rest of the day. I feel like yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah. We had afternoon siestas yesterday and today. So I also had afternoon siestas yesterday and today. Yeah. Um, my siesta yesterday lasted a very long time. I, I think I got back home after playing at about uh 12.30, and I don't think I really got off my couch till about 4. Okay, that is pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty serious good. siesta. So, Ali Bear, what book are we discussing today? You know, we're doing sort of a different book today. We're doing the book When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Clancy. I'm not entirely sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Sort of a depressing book. Definitely out of the realm of something we would normally do, but... Paul was born in 1977, originally in New York, and then eventually moved when he was a young child to Arizona with his family. Eventually went on to attend Stanford, where he got a degree in literature, and then sort of debated between what he wanted to do. He obtained a master's of philosophy and history from Darwin College, and then eventually pursued and obtained his medical degree from the Yale School of Medicine. And then the way this book came about is that, and I guess we'll get into it, is that Paul was diagnosed with a stage four metastatic lung cancer in his last year of residency as a neurosurgeon. And if memory serves, neurosurgery residency, I believe, is seven years. I may be wrong about that. It it could actually even be longer. It could be nine. I may be getting those mixed up, but it's an awful long time. And as you can probably imagine, it was pretty devastating uh, getting that type of diagnosis. So I guess, Jack, what were your thoughts after finishing? Obviously, a very sad book. I felt sad for him in the sense that it felt like he didn't really want to keep working, but he kept getting drawn back to this profession. And he talks a lot about it not really being a job, but being a calling And that kind of stuck with me and kind of, I think, helped me see what some of these doctors see. Because, yeah, sometimes it seems like they neglect their families. I mean, obviously, we know a lot of doctors that have good balance in their lives, but 
he seemed to struggle a little bit. And I think his dad did as well. And it was kind of just this balancing act of like, does he keep going through with the surgery and being a surgeon or does he just quit and being become a writer? Like he had always seemed like he wanted to. And he says it, his decision would vary based off of the length of time he was given. And it's this constant balancing act and you don't really know. So very sad story. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, you sort of bring up that interesting point about, you know, struggling with his family life. I believe his diagnosis came when he was leaving Stanford to go visit some old friends in New York. And him and his wife were having problems for that reason, I believe, that he she felt almost that uh, I don't know if you got this impression. I sort of felt like she felt that he was being neglectful of her. And he was focusing so much on his residency. But yeah, I felt the same way. Like when he got the diagnosis and he just continued, he did take some time off, but he just continued to work. And I mean, it's something like that type of situation seems so foreign to me, like to do that. Like, I guess if I was, if someone told me I had maybe one or five years left to live, the last thing I would do would be to go back and continue to go into the office to work. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling that your feelings are somewhat similar to mine. Yeah. I mean, in that regard. Yeah. He definitely said the residency was putting a strain on his marriage. And there's actually a quote in that section that I, I wrote down when he's talking about getting through residency. And he, he said, I could see myself finally becoming the husband I'd promised to be. So it's like always like, yeah, it'll get better after I get through this. And I can kind of relate to that because like, I feel like I've put some things on hold for like studying for the actuarial exams. Like, I mean, I didn't go to Japan with you and the rest of the family. There's definitely some things I've put off or sacrificed to take these exams. And it's like kind of hard. Like, yeah, if I were to get diagnosed when I was still studying, like if you don't know when you're going to die, it's kind of, that's a hard balancing act and it's hard to say exactly what you would do. I like actually totally disagree with that. And I'll tell you why, because I had the same, the exact same mentality when I was going through grad school, I, I just would always tell myself, you know, thing, things will be better. My mentality will be better once I'm done with grad school. And then I think at the end of the day, it's just not true. Yes. Obviously there are some things that are just terrible, but I think a lot of times people are just unhappy and they fixate on specific things and not really, I guess, maybe not really get to the root cause of like what is causing them to be unhappy. I just used to always say my life would be so much better after I got done with grad school. And now I'm done with grad school and I'm like, I enjoy my life. My life is great, but it's not like my life is now so much better. I guess that's true. Like on some yeah, I mean, you got to look like internally, like if you're unhappy, like in general. But I would say like through my, I mean, after passing my exam, my life has gotten way better just by freeing up more time to do things that I find a little more interesting and it doesn't feel so forced. Like I can study things I'm really interested in and sometimes they're math related things and sometimes they're not. And, but I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of times if you look outside of yourself to fix your unhappiness, it's probably not going to work. I just feel that a lot of times when people, this goes back, I mean, I think we talk about this book all the time, but it goes back to a man's search for meaning. When you search for happiness, you don't find happiness by searching for it. You find it by doing things that you love. So I guess like if you're just, if you're in an unhappy situation, yes, you have to get yourself out of it. But by just telling yourself that every, like you'll be happy when something's done, I think usually, at least for me personally, I felt like when I would tell myself that, I think I was missing the true underlying reasons of why I didn't really feel happy, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question would be, do you feel that Paul was actually unhappy? Because I would say, no, he wasn't. Right. I agree. Because he kept describing it as like a calling. And so if it is your calling and that's what you feel like you should be doing, would you really say you're unhappy doing it? I don't think so. I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't, based from back from your quote, he obviously loved what he was doing. Otherwise, I just can't imagine how that's like how you would spend your last year on life, right? Like, unless you would never, if if you weren't doing something you loved, you know, that's how much time you have left. You're not going to go do it. I guess I was sort of relating to your quote that you read Mm -hmm. that he would finally be able to be the husband that he wanted to be, it just seemed like to me that, yes, he would have more time as an attending, but it probably wouldn't be that much more time that if he wasn't prioritizing his wife to be like a husband that he wanted to be in one moment, he probably wouldn't then all of a sudden do it in the next just because he finished graduate school. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there any specific like story that stuck out to you? I mean, the story, I actually read this a while ago. I remember thinking it was very brutal and and just so depressing when he was talking about just how he physically deteriorated and how he could no longer hang out with, when he was in New York visiting his friends, when I think he sort of came to the conclusion that he had cancer. I guess the other thing that I sort of would want to say, and I, I don't remember if I'm getting this right, but it sounded like he thought he had it. And then sort of put off the test for a while until he was like, sure, without getting tested that he had it. And then he went and got tested. I think he said at his age, the probability was like so low for that type of cancer. He thought it was so unlikely he kind of put it off. Right. But like he still, at least in the book, he makes it sound like he sort of thought that maybe he had it, but then just didn't get it checked. And that kind of made me think of our old uh, babysitter who I think sort of did the same thing. She sort of put off some tests because she was, I mean, I don't think he was necessarily scared, but I, I think probably I have to imagine you are, right? Yeah. And I think he kind of talks about this difference between being the doctor and the patient. And I think when you see yourself as so much the doctor, you can't really see yourself as the patient. So it's almost like you can't be sick, like you need to be saving other people, like there's no time for you to be saved. They can't happen to him kind of deal. I can see that. So all these books that talk about death a lot, I mean, there's a quote in here that says, he who should teach men to die would at the same time teach them to live. And I think that kind of sums up my feelings towards this whole book. Kind of just everyone should be like, 
thinking about death in order to live a happier, yeah, meaningful life. Really think like it's not forever. So did you have a moment where you felt your mortality, Al? Where I felt my mortality? I mean, I don't know. I guess just to be totally honest with you, like working with chemicals all day, I am often worried about cancer. And if like the stuff that I'm doing on a daily basis is will eventually lead to me getting cancer. I think it's a rational thought to have. So like then reading about it doesn't usually make me feel particularly good. Mm-hmm. You know, in the end he does, it's sort of interesting because I was talking about this book with uh, one of my friends here and we sort of had different opinions, but I guess I'll just ask your opinion. How did you feel about when he had a child? Cause he had a child at the very end. Uh, They went through, I believe, IVF, him and his wife, and she was able to get pregnant and have a child. And I think he was able to hold his daughter for like a year of her life. What were your sort of thoughts on that? Well, I remember, so when he was diagnosed, he started asking himself a lot about what makes a life worth living. And one of the things he brought up was having a child before he died. And that's when they decide to have a kid. I don't think there's like a problem with it. I think kind of just leaves a piece of him in the world. And I don't think it's really selfish because his wife, I think her name was Lucy, also wanted that. So I thought it was fine. I mean, it's kind of sad that he could barely interact with her, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was very touching and that it was, he obviously wanted it and she wanted it as well that he got to sort of pass a part of himself on and at least hold his child and in some way be a part of her life. But my friend was like, he's sort of like distraught almost that this girl wouldn't have a father in her Mm -hmm. life. Now, it was kind of interesting when he got diagnosed with cancer. One of the first things he said to Lucy was like, you should get remarried. Yeah. Because he was talking about and then the way I wrote this down, the other thing was to go refinance the house. That's an interesting thought to have when you, you find out you're going to die. <laughs> it's better than take out a massive insurance policy. <laughs> yeah, it's just interesting what people think about. And this was like, I guess I was trying to think of other times where I hadn't really read anything about someone going through cancer other than actually... uh I mean, we had Ivy Zellman on last time, and her book kind of talks about her cancer treatments, but I hadn't really read from someone going through cancer, really. I mean, I've talked to people that have gone through it a little bit, but I guess it didn't really touch me the same way reading all this did. It was definitely an emotional book. I think I read the original article that he published like seven or eight years ago now, but I heard someone on... TIP talk about this book, which is why I eventually went on to choose it. He said he read it every year just to remind him of his mortality. And like every year he would cry like uncontrollably Hmm. during like why he was reading it. It was very emotional. I would say I did not cry uncontrollably though. I Um, did not either. I think I did tear up a bit at the end when his wife his wife wrote the afterward thought was very sort of touching and sad. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, book was easy to read, but hard to read at the same time. Yeah. uh, That makes sense. I mean, I also kind of enjoyed the stories just about some of the surgeries they would do and how 
I mean, we're talking millimeters of a difference. He talked about cutting into an eight-year-old's hypothalamus, I think, a little bit too much. And basically, he was thinking like, okay, this kid's going to turn into at least a 300-pound, like 20-year-old, because I guess that part like controls your hunger. So he was like talking about things like that. And that was just like kind of nuts to read about and think like, man, they got to like live with the thought of that if a mistake like that were to happen. And he talked about there was a doctor that had like a complication with a patient and the guy jumped off the roof. The the surgeon jumped off the roof, killed himself. So it's very high stress and yeah, just kind of interesting stories on that front. I don't think I have too much else to add really. I really don't either. So I guess with that said, please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you would like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind, a great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. I'm Alex Allwell, and with me as always is Jack Allwell. So Jack, I believe you're doing the next solo episode. Do you know what you'll be doing? I don't, but <laughs> I think I have a fun book on cob building that I think I'm going to try to knock out two birds with one stone. Did you say cob building? Yes. Okay. Building cob houses. I feel like I'd sort of like to be on for that. Have okay, maybe may- built may- cob before. Maybe I'll hold off on, maybe I'll pick a different book then. You know, after talking to Ivy Zellman and like listening to all these other places, like we, we got like supplies an issue and I just feel like buy a plot of land, let's build some cob together and start a revolution. <laughs> well, if you're actually, if you're actually going to build a cob house, I will come out for that. Cool. Right now I'm looking into places where I could volunteer to help on someone else's before I try to do it on my own. <laughs> you could probably find that. Yeah, yeah. I think it looks like I'll be able to. So, well, What is the book that we're doing together next? That is The Coddling of the American Mind. And then okay. the Alistair Humphreys book will be after that, I believe. Okay. So, okay, Al. I will All right. See you later. Later, Jack.